Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Going to have some fun by getting on the phone lines and getting a soybean crop update. We'd love to hear how your soybeans are doing. Uh, on our farm, I know we were just having this discussion uh, within the last few days, and uh, we had an agronomist saying, well, I don't think these soybeans are going to canopy. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's uh, the second week of July. We got all kinds of time. And, you know, the big thing is the sooner we can canopy, the better, because then, of course, we choke out the weeds and we don't have to keep fighting weeds at least as much. There there may be a straggler that gets through here and there, but it's nothing like when you've got an open canopy, the sun hitting the soil and triggering all those weed seeds to germinate out there. So anyway, well, we'll talk about crop canopy and soybeans. We'll talk about what's going on in the crop a little bit and, and what kind of condition it's in. And we'd love to hear from you. Our phone lines are open all throughout the show today at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com, or you can find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, or me, Darren Hefty. All right, uh, talking about what's going on out in the field, had had some interesting conversations just in the last week, and some of them have just been going over some of the basics, and I get it. On our show, a lot of times we're talking about, all right, how many parts per million of boron do you really want to have in your soil, and at what growth stage should you be applying manganese and these kinds of things, and I would call those more advanced agronomic topics. But when we get down to some of the basics, like just straight up growth and development of our plants and understanding how does it get from a seed to something that's producing seed in, I don't know, a lot of times we just take that for granted, but we've, we've skipped over a lot of those steps. Every show, we just jump right to, hey, here's something way further off in the season. And we didn't really talk about how we got there. So I wanted to start with that for, for just a minute because there's some cool stuff happening in corn. So, for example, a lot of cornfields around the country have not tasseled yet, especially in the corn belt. And they're getting relatively close. So we get a lot of growers, hey, how long will it be until my corn's going to tassel? Well, I, my first question is, well, I don't know how many, how many ears you got or how many leaves you have left to, uh, to come out before that tassel comes. And, and they're like, okay, well, explain this to me. Well, take the top part of your corn plant and just dissect it. Just start unrolling leaves off and, and start seeing, oh, well, there's still three more leaves wrapped around the outside of my tassel. So how long is it taking you to get each leaf to come out? And, you know, depending on what you're getting for heat and growing degree days and so forth, you can calculate exactly when that tassel is going to emerge. You can start dialing in when your uh, aerial applicator is going to need to come or when you're going to do it with a, with a high clearance ground rig, whatever the case may be. If you're doing some treatments, you can kind of figure out what your timing is going to be. The other thing is uh, we've got a lot of corn out there that's relatively small and we're seeing some issues. And I, I get pictures all the time about, hey, there's this going on and, and we show some leaf that looks really funny on, on top of the plant or, you know, partway up the side of the plant. And normally my first follow up question, if I'm on the ball, is, well, what's it look like below ground? And so often we get pictures of above ground plant parts, but not the below ground. And I just strongly encourage you, no matter what stage your corn is at, go out and dig up a couple of plants today in a couple different areas and take a look at what's going on. Uh, so maybe you want to go to that area that's that's having a struggle, and then you go to your best looking area and just dig up one plant. 
And hopefully you're thinking like my dad used to think, and he'd, he'd be like, oh, man, I don't want to be digging up too many plants out there. I don't want to don't want to hurt myself. But each corn plant is only worth uh, two or three cents. So it's not much, unless it's a sweet corn plant and you're going to sell the ear for a dollar or something crazy like that. But even so, worst case scenario, a corn plant, even the most valuable corn plants are probably only worth a buck. So to dig up a couple, it's really not going to be very expensive. And the lessons that you're going to learn are going to be really valuable. So with corn, as you dig it up, just try and try and get as much of that root system as you can. So go out a little ways away from the stalk. And this sounds obvious, and it is for, for most people. But if you've never dug up a corn plant, um, hey, I, I don't want to leave anything out. So as you dig up that corn plant, then what I'd suggest that you do is what I'll normally do is just kind of uh, gently knock that corn plant and that root ball against the soil and try and knock off all the soil that I can. But a lot of times there's going to be soil that just doesn't fall right off the plant. Uh, so that's where if you had a, a couple of gallons of water and a five-gallon pail, you can just dunk that corn plant a few times and completely wash off the roots. And then you're going to be able to see quite a few things. So if I was looking at a corn root today what would I be looking for? All right, so first of all, what should be there for roots? Well, one thing that you could do, about a foot above the ground, just cut the corn stalk off. So you've got like one foot of stalk, and then you've got a root ball beneath it. And then what I like to do is just take a knife and slice right down the dead center of that stalk all the way down through the dead center of that root ball. Then you can split it in half and you can kind of see what's going on. So once you get below the soil surface, what you should see is five rings of nodal roots. And if you're, if I'm already losing you here and you're like, what, what are you talking about? Rings of roots? Well, what you're going to see is uh, they'll come out from the stalk and they'll, there'll be roots that'll shoot out all the way around that stalk. And that's what I mean, a ring. And there should be five of those rings. And then at the very bottom or at the point of that stalk, you're going to see uh, the radical and seminal roots and you're going to see the seed still attached. So you can look where your soil line is down to where that seed is and you can see what your seed depth is. And if you say, well, my seed depth is only an inch, I thought I planted at two inches, you may have just discovered why you're having some issues in that area of the field. Uh, the other thing that you could be looking for on the root system too is are they all nice and white and clean or has there been a bunch of feeding on the roots? We're seeing a tremendous amount of insect pressure this year across much of the Corn Belt and it's not going to surprise me at all to, to have uh, any of you listening to the show today say, wow, I dug up some roots and you know what? There's a pretty good amount of insect feeding, whether it was smart stacks corn or conventional corn. You know, of course on the conventional corn you'll see more, but those bugs have to take a bite out of the root to ingest that BT. So that'd be a couple things I'd be looking at today. And then also the other thing is just do some staging on your corn and start counting leaf collars. And uh, we can talk about the leaf collar thing a little bit more later, but that's going to be really important, especially if you're still out trying to make some spray applications. Okay, we got talking about corn there a little bit, but we're going to get into soybeans today and get a crop update from around the continent. We'd love to hear from you at 844 44 Ag PhD. Stay tuned. Ideal for herbicide applications, the Ultra Low Drift's large air inducted droplets were designed to eliminate driftable fines without sacrificing coverage. Its thick three dimensional pattern creates multiple angles for the spray to cover the target. Hypro, helping you spray better. 
Want to cut production costs without losing yield? The Soil Warrior can reduce trips across the field, optimize nutrient placement, and improve soil health. So you can lower production costs without losing yield. See what makes the Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. You got in the field. Well done. That wasn't an easy task this year. Now give your corn everything it needs to get the job done this season. At Side Dress, adding agro-liquid nutrients to your nitrogen can economically and efficiently boost potential. It's not too late to supply the nitrogen, potassium, sulfur, and boron your corn needs to reach top yields. We can help you develop a successful nutrition program for your corn. To learn more, visit agroliquid.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Getting a soybean crop update today, and we would love to hear from you. How are your soybeans doing, or how are the crops doing in your area? Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can send us an email if you want to send a picture instead, or in addition to a phone call, you sure can. Radio at agphd.com is our email. Let's sit down in North Carolina, got Neil with us right now. Neil, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. So uh, we're talking soybeans today a little bit, but of course we're interested in whatever's going on on your farm. What uh, what do the soybeans look like in your area? Well, we um, we've got them in all stages, Darren. Uh, we double crop behind wheat, and we've got early beans that were planted the end of April, and we've got beans that were planted a week ago. Okay, so, uh, that makes it we're interesting. We're at all different stages. Yeah, yeah, we're at all different stages, uh, but we're having a pretty good year. Okay, now um, I, I hear a lot about uh, heat and dry weather. What's it like in your area? Have you been catching some rains? Well, we're dry right now. We need we need rain right now. When we first started planting, uh, we were we were actually planting some a little too wet, um, and then it just flipped. <laughs> you know, we go from being too wet and flooding to bone dry in no time, and. Right now, we're we're getting some thunderstorms around in the area, but uh, they're just hitting us. We we really need a we need a front or something to come through, give us a good soaking rain. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Well, those April beans they got to be pretty good size by now, I would think. Yep, they're about knee high. They're they're just about ready to bloom. Yeah, they're just that, about it bloom. Just a critical time to to catch that rainfall. Now, these early ones that you just put in the ground, was there enough moisture there to get them started, or are they still sitting in the ground? There, there was enough moisture to get them started. Uh, that wheat straw, you know, the stubble, it it uh, it sort of holds that moisture in there. So we we had enough moisture to finish it up. 
Okay, good. Good. Yeah. There, there were a lot of replants early on, on early beans, a lot of replants because people were pushing it and they were a little wet and then it got bone dry and the beans just couldn't push through. Um, and we had a few acres that we had to, to replant because of that. But I have some neighbors that had quite a bit to replant two and three times. Oh. Yeah, that's yeah. that's no fun. It's, it's uh, enough work planting once. A guy hates to do that two or three times, and then have to pay for it. Besides, is is not a money making yeah, proposition. Uh, how about the wheat? Yeah. Speak about making money. Did you make some money on the wheat, or or did that? What was no, what was that crop? No, like? our wheat our wheat was the worst wheat crop I believe I've ever had. Uh, we drowned it all winter long, all fall. We we were planting wheat in January, and you know the insurance date cut off November twentieth. So. <laughs> We just had a terrible wheat crop. It got so wet, we couldn't get nothing done. And then planting it that late, it just, worst wheat crop ever. You know, your weather is normally just uh, a little ways ahead of ours. And you guys were wet, 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 and now all of a sudden you've gone dry. We've been wet, wet, wet. And uh, believe me, everybody here is praying for dry weather. But uh, maybe we're going to end up turning like you guys did. And when it turns off, it just shuts off for for quite a while. I, I don't know. But I, I, I hope there's enough moisture that you catch to get this next crop started because getting that crop canopy as soon as you can sure helps with uh, with weed control and everything else. What's it been like with that early planting? Is Has weed control gone fairly well? Yeah, uh, we went over it one time. I extended max, and they're clean, clean as a pen. Outstanding, outstanding. Well, I guess we got a little bit of good news and uh, kind of nice not to have to look at that wheat crop anymore. Sometimes, uh, well, like this year in 2019, there's a lot of guys that are anxious for corn harvest just so they don't have to look at some of these fields that, that are pretty tough out there too. So, yeah. well, Neil, uh, good luck here on this, this next crop and uh, hopefully it turns out great. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I, thank you. I got Dennis down in Nebraska right now. Dennis, how are you doing? Just fine, just fine, Darren. We could uh, use a little rain right now. Yeah, and I bet you didn't think you were going to say that after this spring, huh? No, not really. But uh, it corn is growing fast, beans are growing, but it's uh, it's getting dry again. It, uh, we got corn that's uh, pollinating and just shooting tassels now, so it'd be nice to get a good soaker on it. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Now, are you doing narrow rows on the corn, or are you just doing narrow row stuff on the beans? Uh, we're on 20s on corn and beans both. Okay, so you got a huge advantage in terms of getting to canopy. I think this is one of those years that, that it's really going to pay for you because what are the guys with the wider rows looking like with their beans right now? Uh, they're growing. Uh, if they got them in early, the beans are looking good. These uh, beans that were planted in late or the end of 1st of June on, you know, we had a lot of rain on them and they didn't come up good. We had a lot of replant on that, water setting, you know, drowning out and things like that but otherwise uh, we had probably three-fourths of our we had probably had about 12 1300 acres of beans in from the 4th of may till the 15th of uh, may when it started raining again excellent excellent so, okay so you've been yeah. dry now is anything suffering or has that been a good thing to dry out a little bit well it's been a good thing to dry out the corn you know yourself when corn can root you get your best crop yep and it's really rooted down good in that it uh, it cleaned up with some of its yellowness. It's getting all the nutrients that uh, that was a little bit down deeper, I think. And the beans, like I say, they like warm weather, so they're doing good now too. But uh, it, when you start tasseling, that's, uh, you need a good shot of rain on it. And that. We're going to start the pivots up tomorrow on a couple of farms and go there. 
Yep. Yeah. It's nice to be able to to supplement whatever you're going to get from nature. Now, when we think about the fertility this year, and you mentioned uh, that, that you're finally starting to green up good and the crop looks, looks pretty good. How did you do getting fertility out there? Because you guys are wet last fall too. Yes. Uh, we, uh, we did a three-way shot. We, uh, on the, the corn side, we dribbled nitrogen on and turned right around and started planting. And we put about another uh, 10 gallons on with a planter with a starter in the row. And then uh, about uh, oh, two weeks ago, we flew on some urea with safener. Okay. And uh, it's the first time we did a little of that last year. Had great results. And we're doing it this year. We did it on all of our corn acres this year. Yeah, well, that'll be that'll be really interesting here to to get that jump. And like you say, if everything's greening up, it sounds like you're getting the nitrogen in there. It could be fun. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I did my first ear counts, and my gosh, the ears are <laughs> showing up. You know, it just uh, if it'll just rain now there, and that's uh, we could have a nice crop down in southeast Nebraska. Well, we keep I, you we know, keep sending you water down the river, but it <laughs> doesn't, yeah, doesn't yeah. really well, help your those, crops. Those poor guys along the river, oh. it, it's a shame what happened to them this year. It's just it's just downright terrible in that. And then I've got some friends out at uh, business clients out at Carney and that where they had those heavy rains. I don't know. It, it could almost drown out a lot of that corn. That water's going to set too long in those fields before it gets out. I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. And stuff there too. So, but uh, it's like I say, this is this is farming. I've been at it for over 50 years, and so you kind of know what to, to expect. And it's Nebraska, so you just take what it gives you and then <laughs> yeah. go there. But. Uh, yeah, it turns around in a hurry where you're at, and and people sometimes think, oh, Nebraska, you're a long ways north, but it gets pretty darn blazing hot in Nebraska too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're about 14 miles from Kansas border down here in southeast Nebraska, so yeah, it's it's uh it, it can get warm, but uh, a lot of these genetics uh, anymore, it's just amazing what they'll do for you. Yeah, yeah, it uh, is. It's it's it, a lot better than what we had even 10 years ago. It's it's been a big improvement. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, we went to corn. We no-till everything. We went to corn about uh, 20, 25 years ago. It was the first one of the first no-tillers in the area. But we used to raise all this country's milo back then. And and they just got the corn genetics where it, it out-yields milo even in dry years now. So we've been real happy with what we're doing. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I just had a chance to kind of drive through your area uh, within the last week, and man, there were a ton of bugs and a ton of these uh, thistle caterpillars down there. Have you been out spraying yeah, we, for those? Or we, uh, when I got back from Lake Erie the middle of June, and uh, I was checking crops on that Sunday, and we got a sprayer in the next day. We had just two hundred acres of them. It was real bad, and the rest of those early beans, we didn't find them anywhere. And that, you know, maybe just want to hear there, but they was riddling those plants up so bad they was making the cocoon parts, you know. Yep. And I'd only been gone five days. <laughs> wow. That, but you, that's how fast they moved in there, it seemed like. So. Yep. And yep. that's the first time I've ever seen them in this area. Yeah. But there I, was a lot of it around. I, I would say about once every 10 years we get them. It's, it's, I don't know what it is okay. with weather that, that makes it happen, but, but this was sure one of those years in Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, hey, Dennis, yeah, thank yeah. you so much for being on. I really appreciate the update and good luck. Hopefully, you catch some rain here soon. Yo, thank you very much. Getting an update about the soybean crop around the continent, we'd love to hear from you. 844 44 AG PhD is our phone line. We'll be right back. No one has to explain stress to a farmer. That's like explaining a missed forecast to a weatherman. 
Now, Mother Nature stresses soybeans the way markets, bankers, and politics can stress you. But there's a proven way to reduce stress. With Preaxor fungicide, you'll see the difference. It decreases stress from disease, drought, hail, and heat, so your beans can focus on what matters most, better yields. Talk to your local rep about Preaxor fungicide and BASF plant health. Always read and follow label directions. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic herbicides from Atticus LLC. Tough broadleaf weeds are a hassle, but they're no match for Cavallo from Atticus. Cavallo delivers fast, contact, and residual control so your corn, soybean, and sorghum crops can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better. Built stronger. Lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Every farmer knows that in order to be profitable, you need to maximize the return on your crop input investments. Hi, I'm Scott Harms, an agrist specialist with Grain PhD. Without an effective and flexible strategy, your grain marketing plan gets stuck in the mud. With Grain PhD, you get the clarity and guidance a solid marketing plan needs. Our free GrainBridge software simplifies your cost-profit analysis, and our risk specialists are here to help you develop your plan. Sign up today at GrainPhD.com. A pasture should have two things, grass and cattle. No weeds, no brush. That's why Chaparral Herbicide offers the broadest spectrum weed control available. It controls weeds other products can miss, like buckbrush and Canada thistle. And less weeds and brush in your pastures means more forage, so you spend less on feed. Chaparral also suppresses seed heads, lessening the effects of fescue toxicosis, all while providing season-long residual control. Visit NoWeedsNoBrush.com today and learn more about Chaparral. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Our topic is soybeans, and we want to get an update from around the continent. How are the soybeans looking in your area, and how are crops doing in general? Let's head down to Iowa right now. we got Zach with us. And Zach, I know the conditions of the crop in your state really vary from one end to the other, so how are they doing around you? Oh, well, we had a planning window from April 20th to July 1st. <laughs> in our area, so wow. there's some beans that look pretty uh, good and some beans that don't look so good. So so mainly due to what? What what would be the problem? Just heavy rains or uh, or other conditions? Yeah, we, I mean, just uh, cool, very wet spring. There's a lot to do with it, you know, for timely planning. And some guys didn't get into it 
till later because of that wet fields and waiting for it to dry up and stuff. So yeah, it's. You know, we were talking to some of the guys down at Iowa State uh, last fall and through the winter, and they said there's more manure that has to get applied in the state of Iowa in the spring this year than ever before. Did you get caught in that spot, or did you get yours done in the fall? Uh, no, we got ours done in the fall, luckily. But I don't know if that was good or not. Did we? I mean, we might have lost some with the wet spring or some of the, you know, the wet sure, spring we sure. had or not. So um, I know, like, guys who didn't, you know, do the wet, didn't get their nitrogen down. Uh, I think that was kind of a good thing because I knew they yeah. didn't lose any. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was our, that was what happened to us on the farm, too. We had to do uh, – uh, we do some dairy manure, and we couldn't get anything done until the spring. And we were actually kind of thankful in the end that, man, we probably would have lost a chunk of that the way, the way we were underwater for much of the spring. So, yeah. okay. Say you got some crop that's up good now in these soybeans. Are you putting fungicides on, insecticides? What What are guys doing right now? I've well, not yet. We're still kind of a couple weeks behind. I mean, we're not quite that R one stage yet to to be doing that. But um, I don't know. I we've always done it the last few years. Been doing fungicide, insecticide. Uh, I'm, I guess we're firm believers. There's not too many in the area that are. I don't know if that's right or wrong or what. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been it's been a good thing on our farm, and I guess you don't know unless you try stuff. This year, the the insects have been uh, trouble in different areas. We were talking to Dennis over in Nebraska, down in southeast Nebraska, and he said they've had thistle caterpillars uh, for probably the first time he's ever had to spray for them, and mm-hmm. you, you just never know what's going to be out there. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know what you're like. I mean, like I said, some of these earlier plant beans look darn good, but I don't know. Some of these where we're not, I mean, I'm looking at a field right now that was just planted a week ago, a neighbor of mine, and something like that. I don't know. Is it worth putting the fungicide and insecticide on? You know, that's a great question. There have been a lot of guys asking similar ones this year with corn and soybeans about, man, we're so late planting uh, here. What kind of return on investment can I get by trying to manage them intensely? And I think the big thing is when you're a little bit behind, and you mentioned uh, probably a couple of weeks behind just based on how things have grown this year, that we can't slow it up. So we got to do everything we can to keep it moving forward. We've had a lot of guys doing foliar fertilizer already this year, trying to kind of jumpstart the crop and, uh, and, and maybe turn it a little darker green and, uh, and get it growing a little bit faster. We've had, uh, you know, the fungicide use, I think this year, we'll see, you know, there's a lot of guys that are down on things, but boy, there's a lot of guys we talk to that are pushing for it too, that say, you know, yeah. I, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it here because we've got enough moisture in the soil. We got a good shot to make a crop if we catch some August rains. Oh yeah. Like on the corn, I'm, our field, we got some, I think we still got some pretty good yield potential. I'm, and with, you know, corn over $4 now, I don't know, we're going to, we're at, I'm going to put it on all my corn fields. Usually I just do corn on corn, but, yep. you know. So. Well, I think you guys are in the driver's seat here on this corn. If you've got some corn tasseling already, uh, it seems like about everybody we talk to in Illinois is down on their crop, and uh, I don't know what's in Ohio. There can't be much corn because the guys have really struggled yeah. over there, just like we have in South Dakota. And No, I'm out wide dropping today, and, yeah, there's corn. some corn just starting to tassel here, so. Outstanding. 
Outstanding. We're pretty lucky. <laughs> you bet. Well, hey, Zach, uh, good luck here with the rest of the growing season. I'm glad uh, you at least got off to a pretty good start. Hopefully, hopefully the rest of the growing season goes well, too. Yeah, thanks. You bet. Thanks. Let's head over to Wisconsin. we got Kyle on with us right now. And, uh, Kyle, how, how are things going there? Uh, extremely varied, like throughout the nation. Um, we held back, which is really hard for me to do. We waited until, as the phrase goes, conditions were right. And uh, this year, that was tremendous in our area. We have some pretty high CEC soils, and a lot of people were out planting when they really shouldn't have. And, man, you can really see it. Um, we were fortunate, and I held back until things were good. And I would say we have some of the best stands I've ever seen. Wow, um, that's awesome. We, we run a high-speed planter. We had one of the first ones in the area. We had it for about five or six years now. And we've always had really good stands with it, but we've been battling crusting the last four or five years. And this year we hit windows that were just right. We didn't have that crusting issue. And, man, when you look at our 15-inch beans, and they were planted anywhere from 140 to 165,000 variable rate population. And when you look at the iPad when you're standing out in the field and you look at the speed map and you look that I was planting at 10, 11, 12 miles an hour, and you see beans that are picket fence perfect, wow. that's pretty encouraging. Uh, normally, when you see a picket fence stand of corn at thirty to 40000 that's impressive. But when you're putting down four or five times more seeds per acre, that's that's really neat to see. Uh, so I think there's some good yield potential there. only problem is we're about 30 days behind where I'd really like to see it. Uh, but we're pushing it. We're putting down some, uh, uh, going to be putting down some uh, fungicide and uh, some micro packs on our beans here probably in about 10 days. Awesome. Um, so, and corn looks pretty decent too. Our corn does. Uh, I'm out variable rate cultivating on uh, nitrogen and ATS right now on some V2, V3 corn. And yesterday I was wide dropping corn at V8, V9. So, extremely varied because of the planting dates, but decent yield potential nevertheless. Yeah, that's uh, well. This this variable planting thing is is interesting. We started our show yeah. off. Uh, we had Neil on. He's like, "Well, I got soybeans that ran in April, and I just put some in yeah. after wheat harvest here a week ago." And yeah. he's got them at all stages. And yeah. I know for uh, a lot of guys in the Upper Midwest, it's hey, we had a three or four day planting window here, and then a couple weeks later we had a couple days, and then a couple weeks later we had a couple days, and yeah, it's all over the board. The only for thing us that too. I'm really scared about at this time at least in our area, it seems like fall harvest is generally a mirror image of planting. So we had a 32-day planting window from start to finish this year, and I'm, we should have had it done in 10 days. And I'm looking at, you know, a planting window that took me three times longer. So I'm hoping harvest isn't going to be drug out like that, but we'll be ready for it. You know what, though, Kyle? Let's just say, worst case scenario, harvest is drug, drug out, like you say. Maybe it's because we got a super, super late frost, and we didn't get a frost till Thanksgiving, and all this crop actually made it, and we were able to harvest it uh, with it naturally drying down without a frost. That, that would be okay. I'd take that. Yeah, I'd be on board with that, too. You know, as you're out managing here, uh, I know you do some tissue testing too. Have you been noticing anything on this V8, V9 corn? Is it starting to pick up the fertility? We've heard a lot of guys saying just the last week or so, there's really been a jump in some of the nutrient levels. 
You know, we tissue sample once a week, uh, starting about V2, and it was pretty darn consistent um, all throughout its growth stages so far. Uh, just getting slightly low on uh, on some sulfur, um, so that's why we're putting on the ATS. Um, so we have a really good, reputable uh, lab that we do our tissue sampling with. We're very fortunate to have it, you know, 15 miles away. So this year, what we're trying to do, I want to see when the nutrients really hit the plant in comparison to the weather. So we are taking tissue samples every 24 hours now. And we've worked it out with the lab that we're able to get them in there, dropped off. And we're going to see once when it really starts hitting it, you know. That is really uh, cool, Kyle. Yeah, I like some of the experiments. It's the only way that you can learn. Hey, we got to run. we got a commercial break. See you, Kyle. Thank you. What if you could protect your soybean plants and reduce yield loss from white mold? Cobra herbicide can help you jumpstart the natural defenses in your soybean crop against the heavy yield loss white mold can cause. This season's wet weather, cool temperatures, high humidity, and moist soil are prime conditions for white mold. And Cobra is a cost-effective way for you to help protect your soybeans. Apply now to jumpstart your fight against white mold with Cobra herbicide. Visit your local retailer today to learn more. Always read and follow label directions. You got in the field. Well done. That wasn't an easy task this year. Now give your corn everything it needs to get the job done this season. At Side Dress, adding agro liquid nutrients to your nitrogen can economically and efficiently boost potential. It's not too late to supply the nitrogen, potassium, sulfur, and boron your corn needs to reach top yields. We can help you develop a successful nutrition program for your corn. To learn more, visit agroliquid.com. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. Foliar sprays are only effective if you can get applied product into the plant. Nutex EDA is a micronutrient-based additive that delivers the foliar absorption boost you've been looking for. Nutex EDA supports rapid penetration and translocation of both nutrients and systemic crop protection within plants. Research trials have shown a 10 to 20% increase in nutrient absorption and higher tissue levels for a longer period, resulting in higher yields. Use Nutex EDA this season with all your foliar applications. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic pesticides from Atticus LLC. Atticus offers a vast portfolio of branded generic fungicides, herbicides, and insecticides for row crops. Atticus puts grassroots experience and common sense logic to work to make product selection easier and on your terms. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. 
Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, getting a soybean crop update. We would love to hear from you. How are the soybeans looking in your area and how are crops in general doing? You can give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Just got an email from Austin down in Alabama. He said we've got soybeans at R2 and he sent a couple of pictures. Looks pretty nice. Looks pretty nice. Uh, Lots better than uh, some of the beans we've got here, that's for sure. So uh, thanks for the picture, Austin, and good luck here the rest of the growing season. Uh, Let's head back on the phone lines here. got Ryan with us over in Michigan. Ryan, how's it going? Real good. How are you doing? We're doing well. We're doing well. All right. So uh, talk about your crops a little bit. What uh, what do the soybeans look like, and what do your other crops look like, too? Um, Well, the soybeans look really good. Um, the, the stuff that we got in early around the, the first week of May there before we hit the rainy spell and put us off for a month. But uh, the sugar beets looked really good, and the corn that went in at that time looked really good. But everything that second batch is, well, just visual from one field to the next. It just looks behind. But it's it's coming along pretty good for what everything went through. You know, with the sugar beets in the rotation, um, how does that change things for you? Because coming out of, I mean, there's a lot of work that gets done to that soil. Are those fields a little tougher to deal with on a year like this or, or not as bad? Um, Actually, our sugar beet ground from last year, um, we put a real thick, heavy cover crop on them. We actually even oh, interseeded awesome. some cover crop into the beets before we harvested them. And so they... Uh, we actually put uh, strips on in the fall, and then um, we planted right into those fall strips into that beet ground with some corn and some beans. And I think we didn't do any test strips where we freshened the strips up, but it was just so tacky underneath. Like, I think we could have got into some trouble. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. There's there's so many different ways. I, I love that you're trying the cover crops there too. That's that'll be just interesting to see over the years what you what you learn and what you end up liking better. Uh, and yeah, with, with the soybeans now, you said you got some of those in the first of May. Did you plant beans ahead of corn, or did you plant corn first? Yes, we uh, we switched over after sugar beets, and we just threw the seed plates in and and started drilling the beans in until the first rain. We might have got a little carried away. We got oh, like 450 acres, about three-quarters of our beans in before we switched to corn. But the soil was still really cold. And then uh, when we finally got rain and got going again, we started putting all the corn in. You know, this is something that's interesting to me. And I, I guess when we talk to farmers everywhere, we, we say, okay, why are you doing what you're doing? And so often we hear, well, I don't know, that's how dad did it or that's how grandpa did it. And the way my grandpa did it, he put corn in first before he ever started yep. planting a bean. He had every ounce of corn in. My dad the yep. same way. He didn't care to put beans in until the corn was done. And partly because he was just all worked up until corn got in the ground. Then he felt so much better. And it was, yep. it was a lot easier to deal with. And, yeah. you know, now this generation of farmers, a lot of guys are like, you know, if soils are cold, I'm going beans first. And even yep. where the soil conditions are decent, we've got some guys saying, I want to go to beans first to try and get them to flower a little earlier and get a little more size to them before they start flowering. Why Why do you yep. like the beans first? Um, The last few years we've been flirting around with 
um, going ahead and doing the beans first and, and break it up our 600 acres of beans and getting about half of them in. And then that way it breaks up the harvest a little. Sure. And we're uh, going with the shorter maturity first. Um, but we've kind of been dropping quite a bit below what typically is grown in this area. Um, we grew some 06s, and I got highest ones are some 18s or 19s when we used to always grow up in the twos. But with the uh, Liberty, we've been kind of in the strip till, kind of been extending the maturity some, and they were staying green too long. So we decided to throw those early ones in as early as we could to try and get them to ripen up a real similar to the same time about oh, some of the dry beans will get ready around here. Sure. So, okay. So how does that work for yield then for you? Cause I know we, we have a lot of our listeners that are nervous when they hear that they're like, Oh no, Ryan's giving up a bunch of yield there, but I'm betting you're getting pretty similar yields to what you're getting before. Yes. And it is all, it, we had some O nines last year that we split up and planted early and then planted some that were like three weeks later. And it does all depend on that planting condition though. But you're not giving up that much yield for if you give a value to we're chasing that combine with uh, uh, the cover crop planter and we're getting that extra uh, time that that crop can grow before our first frost in the fall for the, the cover crop. Well, it certainly pays off in a year like last year where harvest season ended up being a mess for a lot of guys to, to spread things yeah. out a little bit. It's pretty nice. Yep, yep. Well, that is interesting. Well, Ryan, I appreciate talking to you today and, and appreciate you sharing a little bit about what you're doing. I think it's kind of cool. You're on a lot of lot of neat uh, projects on your farm, and you're changing things up the way it sounds from previous generations, which I also think is super cool. Now, I probably won't think that's yep. as cool when my kids want to change things, but <laughs> <laughs> I guess that kind of comes yep. with the territory, doesn't it? That's right. Yep. Yeah, we've really been enjoying uh, it. We always enjoyed farming, and it just gave it a whole new outlook. And it's uh, we've really been enjoying playing with it and, and learning all the new techniques and and all the people that we've got to meet learning through yeah. all this. Yeah, I agree. You know? There are some great people in this industry. Well, Ryan, really appreciate it. Thanks, thanks for talking to us again, and good luck here the rest of the season. Yes, thank you. You too. You know, one thing that that Ryan talked about there that I. I thought was really neat too, was just talking about planting conditions and getting in there when things were fit. And, you know, we look a lot at, at that on our farm about, man, when do you pull the trigger? And I know everybody listening is gets in the same boat from time to time where, man, there's a rain coming the next couple of days here. This is our shot and we got to either go or don't go. And I know we had one field of corn that we decided to wait and that turned out to be the right decision. And, uh, that I was really happy about that. Brandon and I were out digging in the field. It was just, man, it just wasn't quite good enough. And, uh, boy, we waited a little bit. It did get better, and we've got a nice stand out there. And we had a soybean field that uh, I had to be gone one weekend, and I I called back just to see how things were going. They're like, yeah, we put your bean field in. And I'm like, what? I was just there just a couple of days ago. There's no way you got in there. And I thought, oh, no, this is going to be a disaster. And I was all worried about it. And so far, I have been proven dead wrong because that one's been really good. And uh, it's got a nice stand established. So, yeah, it is it is important to, to get in in good conditions, no question about it, and just what exactly good conditions are. Well, I guess that's, that's uh, up to interpretation. All right, let's jump into the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! 
Got a question from Justin, and he said, I'm wondering if your thoughts are still the same about foliar fungicides in corn. I was looking at one of your old newsletters that you sent out from 2012, so seven years ago, uh, and I was wondering if that information was still relevant today. Hey, you know, that's a great point, Justin. We've got a lot of information out there, whether you find stuff on YouTube or just uh, online or off our website or wherever, and some things don't really change a whole lot, uh, like growth stages for corn, for example, but but then other things like, all right, we've got different foliar fungicide products than we had then. Uh, we've got higher yield potential than we had then. We've got, uh, certainly 2012 was a very dry and hot year, and we've got a wet year and a little cooler year in a lot of parts of the country. Uh, but, but even if it's warm and wet, your disease pressure is generally a lot higher. So uh, I would say this, Justin, Brian actually wrote that article, and he wrote it in 2012. And he wrote it to the conditions of 2012, that, you know, when it's hot and super dry and you're in an arid climate, your odds of disease are much less. Now, that said, you can still relieve some stress with a fungicide application. It's been shown to uh, let the plant be a little bit cooler. It's also been shown to raise antioxidant levels in the plant and reduce ethylene levels, which uh, basically cause premature death or premature ripening. So by doing those things, even if you don't have disease, there can certainly be a benefit in plant health that, I'll be honest, when I first heard plant health from fungicides, I thought, yeah, disease control. But I didn't really think, oh, if you don't have disease, it's going to be a big deal. But it sure could be. Now, this year, I think we're going to have both. I think we've got plants that are under stress. And I think that we've got a lot of potential for disease. So, yeah, we're totally in favor of putting fungicides out on corn this year. And we're going to spray every acre of our farm at tassel time, which we normally wouldn't do. Thanks for the question, Justin. We'll be right back with more of your questions after this. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the STEPS GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need STEPS GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. What if you could protect your soybean plants and reduce yield loss from white mold? Cobra Herbicide can help you jumpstart the natural defenses in your soybean crop against the heavy yield loss white mold can cause. This season's wet weather, cool temperatures, high humidity, and moist soil are prime conditions for white mold. 
and Cobra is a cost-effective way for you to help protect your soybeans. Apply now to jumpstart your fight against white mold with Cobra herbicide. Visit your local retailer today to learn more. Always read and follow label directions. Hey, Bill, any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and Buy Two Save Three are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. If you're a rancher who's obsessed with keeping your pastures clear, turn to Grayson Next Herbicide. It offers superior broadleaf weed control, so instead of thinking about weeds, you can think about the money you'll save growing more grass and buying less feed. Used early in the season, Grayson Next also provides residual activity that controls newly emerged weed seedlings, giving you season-long control. Start enhancing your land while you protect it. Visit leavetheweedstoss.com to learn more about Grayson Next. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag. That means we're taking your calls, questions, emails throughout the rest of the show. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. And of course, we are on Twitter at uh, agphd media or Darren Hefty. And I just had a message come in that way too. Uh, and you know, there's, there's so many things going on. Uh, this one comes from India and this is from Gaurav and probably mispronouncing your name, but uh, I'm going to give it my best shot. He said, uh, last year I had emailed you about nutrient deficiency issues in soybeans. And this year, just to update you, I planted soybeans again and, uh, learned a lot from uh, your information online and also from my experience last year. Last year, one other thing that I, I found is even though I was spraying systemic insecticides, almost 80% of my soybeans were infected with stem fly larvae that bored all the way through the stem, which impacted my yields pretty heavily. So my question is, how can I prevent insects from laying eggs inside my soybean stems? What insecticide works best to control these types of insects? Okay, Garav, uh, and uh, I apologize if I'm getting that name wrong, but I want to talk a little bit about this. So we've got an insect uh, that we call um, the, the soybean midge that lays eggs inside soybean stems, and then those larvae uh, just basically bore out the the middle part of the stem, the plant eventually falls over and dies. So it's a, it's a huge yield loss. So I, I'm not sure if it's exactly the same bug that you've got, but wow, it's a, it's a big issue. So yeah, if you search for soybean gall midge larvae and search for University of Nebraska at Lincoln, they're doing a lot of work on this, but uh, I know South Dakota State, University of Minnesota, Iowa State, and others are, are looking at this problem too. Uh, and that will give you kind of an idea of what we're fighting here, and it's a fairly similar problem to what you have, I think, just based on your description. 
So we've been looking at this for uh, the better part of five years now, and we really have struggled because, number one, we didn't understand when the adults were flying. So what we were seeing is the larvae causing damage in the stems. We didn't actually see the adults. In fact, nobody even had a picture of the adults because this is a new insect uh, until this last year. And once they figured out what the bug looked like and now they're tracking when it's flying, we're going to start narrowing in on what we can do to control it. We've got a similar issue in wheat with wheat stem sawfly. And you can look at some of the research on wheat stem sawfly as well. Uh, what, what the wheat industry has done, they've developed some solid stem varieties. So there isn't that uh, big open channel in the middle of the stem for, for the worms to uh, exist in. And they've, they've greatly reduced the issue, but they're losing yield with those varieties. So they're kind of in the same boat too. I'm going to lose yield if I have this insect problem and I don't really have a good way to spray for it. Uh, what what we're seeing with the the uh, soybean stem bugs, we're trying to spray post-emerge with bifenthrin, which would be a pyrethroid insecticide, while those adults are flying. So we're trying to find when those little midge are flying based on growing degree units, so basically based on heat accumulation uh, from for the season. So what we're seeing is the emergence on those bugs happens at a certain point. Now in India, uh, depending on where you're at, you may not freeze at all during the year. And if you don't freeze, then I don't exactly know how this uh, growing degree units thing is going to work for you. But uh, where we're at, we freeze for probably six months of the year, and then the bugs all start flying in the spring as it warms up. So we're kind of tracking, all right, when we start getting to a certain level, so much heat we've accumulated, so many days of warm days, uh, then then we see these bugs flying. We try to spray them with bifenthrin before they can lay the eggs. That's the idea. Now, in terms of once the larvae are, are crawling around inside your stems, there's nothing we can do. We can't kill them at that point. So we've got to get them before that. The other alternative that some are exploring is what if we put an insecticide either on the seed or in the seed furrow so that your root system could take it up and you've got a systemic insecticide that would be fighting the bugs. Now, there's one that's shown a little bit of promise in our country, but it's not labeled for soybeans. Uh, the active ingredient is fipronil, F-I-P-R-O-N-I-L, fipronil. Uh, used to be marketed in a product called Regent, and it still is marketed for certain crops. Uh, there was some, some work that was done with fipronil, uh, and it actually showed a little bit of promise against some of the stem borer species. Now, not specifically the soybean gall midge that I was talking about, but Dectus stem borer, D-E-C-T-E-S, uh, saw some, uh, uh, some good work being done where, where we could actually stop some of the Dectus stem borers. But basically, long story short, if you've got a bug that's boring in your stem, you have to kill it before it gets in the stem. So you've got to kill that adult uh, as they're trying to lay eggs or before they can lay the eggs. That's your only shot. Hey, thanks for uh, the question. Thanks for the update on your crop. And, uh, and thanks for the kind word about our, our online content as well. Really appreciate that. Good luck to you with your crop this year. 
All right, uh, got to get some feedback here. This one's from Raven. Uh, I said, hey, I was watching your your video that you put out on corn tassels and silks. It was really helpful for me. I'm a gardener. I've got just a few stalks of corn, and I mistook my new tassels coming out as baby ears, and I was really concerned about it, uh, but now I see what they really are. Hey, Raven, thank you so much. We really appreciate that, and and we totally understand, uh, like with our Farm Basics segment on our television program, that not everybody's a farmer. In fact, uh, only a very small percentage of people are full-time farmers, and it's really good to get just some of that basic information out about how crops are growing, especially with one like corn. Uh, like you say, if you're raising sweet corn, well, there's there's tons of people raising a little bit of sweet corn at home for themselves or to sell locally, uh, and it's pretty good information to get out there. So thanks a lot, Raven. Really appreciate you watching our stuff. All right, uh, got a got a little feedback um, from Colin. He said, "I'm new to leaf tissue sampling. You guys talk about it quite often. I was curious." Uh, is there a place I can find a reliable chart for my corn test to see if I'm in the right range uh, for for my crop? I've searched online, couldn't seem to find one. Um, thanks, Colin. We really appreciate that. You know, there's a lot of people looking for that same thing of where should I be, and the challenge is nobody really knows. So what you can find at some of the labs, like uh, I know at Midwest Labs in Omaha that, that we've worked with, you can find out what their normal ranges are that they see at each growth stage. Because uh, as you send in samples, they ask you, well, what growth stage are you at? Are you at V7 or V9 or, or R1 or whatever? And then they'll tell you, oh, okay, you had uh, whatever, 5% zinc and you should have seven or something like that. And I, I, I'm just making up those numbers because I'm not reading off a chart or anything. But but they'll tell you where they're normally at, and then they'll kind of give you a comparison, are you high or low? They aren't talking about what the yield level is, though, at all. So you can say, well, I'm high. Well, high compared to what? Just high compared to the other tests that have come in. So you don't know if it's good corn or bad corn that was tested. All you know is that their test level was X. So you can find a chart from labs, but the best thing you could do is start charting it yourself and year on year based on the same uh, stage of growth or the same GDUs or whatever you want to use to, to compare year to year. Then you can say, okay, here's my level this year. Here's where I am the next year. Am I better or worse? And you know what your crop yielded this year. Then uh, next year you can kind of compare, hey, am I on track to uh, maintain that 200 bushel yield goal that I had, or am I ahead or behind? So make your own charts up. That's the best way to do it. Or compare with uh, some other growers in your area just to see, you know, hey, how am I doing compared to those guys? What's their yield goal and what's mine as well? Hey, thanks for the question, Colin. We really appreciate that. I got one from Kirk here, and he said, I recently listened to a podcast you did about biofuels. I'm a farmer, and I also work in the oil industry, so I'm kind of looking at this both ways. Uh, he said, I disagree with the way that some of your guests mentioned big oil has control over our leadership, and they're using leverage to control market share. I think the ag industry is one of the largest industries in the nation, and I'm sure they're lobbying Congress just as much as big oil. Uh, I'd like to see big oil and big ag on the same team working together to develop products uh, that our nation needs. And uh, I believe we should let market prices dictate what's bought and minimize some of the regulations. Hey, Kirk, thanks for the feedback. We really appreciate that. You do have a kind of a neat, unique perspective. I, I would say this, the, the sentiment that I get from a lot of the agricultural uh, firms that do do some lobbying, they say, man, uh, the oil industry has got so much more money than what the agricultural industry has uh, that, that they're spending more. 
and and that's why they make those claims that that they've got a lot more power and i agree with you i'd like to see the market uh do what it, it can to to decide this and personally i don't like that our ethanol for example is limited to 10 percent or maybe 15 percent in fuels when i'm safely burning 30 and have been for years uh, so that's that's the market access uh, that we were talking about Thanks for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.